This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing leg day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice, access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com cultivate. That's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show. Hi, Fred. My name is Josh Shell, host of the Let's Start a Cult podcast. The only podcaster who receives messages from God. Oh, and I think I actually hear something now. He's saying, the Double Down is back at KFC for a limited time. Get one today. Hmm, uh, I, I might be getting my frequencies mixed up. But now that we're all hungry for greasy chicken, it's time for me to introduce my guests this episode. They are from the incredibly funny and informative podcast, Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast where two skeptics and comedians have been kidnapped by a mastermind known as Mr. Bunker and are forced to podcast his conspiracy theories and paranormal phenomenon. From the death of John Lennon to the Axemen of New Orleans, they cover it all. Please welcome Art and Andy. How are you guys doing today? Hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. We're doing great. Thank you for having us. Thank uh, you for having us. And thank you uh, to your listeners for putting up with us <laughs> yes <laughs> our apologies and also our thanks <laughs> no no you guys you guys are great my my listeners will love you fred will become uh bunkers what do you guys call your audience <laughs> bunk funkers bunk funkers bunk funkers okay <laughs> uh some people I do have, like some that. people have misconstrued it as buck funkers but it is bunk funkers that's true <laughs> All right, all right. I I I appreciate that. So Fred's will become bunk funkers, and uh, and they will like it. So, <laughs> wow, yeah, some some aggressive cross pollination going on here. <laughs> Forced conversion. Well, guys, in today's episode of Let's Start a Cult, we will be talking about the story of the Sullivan Institute, an infamous sex cult based in New York City that existed from the late 1950s to the early 1990s. Established by a psychotherapist who aimed to promote his mentor's teaching, it instead became a group that forced members to give up their children in favor of sexually liberated lifestyle. So what are your guys' thoughts on uh, promiscuous lifestyle with no kids? Wow, I mean... Wow, the batch life. Yeah, it sounds like a dream come true. I mean, every night down at the Applebee's hunting for strange. The Applebee's. That's the life for me. Yeah. That's right. Well, where else would you rather be on a Friday night? No kids, nobody to answer to. Nobody but you and the bartender, Jeff. <laughs> you can just relate all your problems to. Lay him at his feet because he's here to serve you. Well, that's, <laughs> that is a very interesting take on, on this cult, but uh, you guys might fit right in by the sounds of it. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. We've never fit in anywhere. <laughs> That's a first. Yeah. Usually people tell us we're too aberrant for cults. <laughs> They're like, you guys are way too much. We we can't have this. <laughs> too much personality. <laughs> yeah, we used to know this guy. His name was Charles Manson. He was like, I listen, I got to kick you guys out. So it's not really working out. <laughs> Look, your personalities are a little aggressive for me. <laughs> the drugs are not working on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and you're harsh in my buzz, too. So take a hike. <laughs> all right well let's hop into the early years of the leader saul newton not much is actually known about the early years of saul bernard cohen who would later go by the name saul newton what is known though is that he was born on june 25th 1906 in the city of saint john in new brunswick canada so he's canadian we claim him <laughs> oh wow wow yeah Another rotten Canadian immigrant coming to the United States and <laughs> starting something weird. Oh First him, then Drake, then Justin Bieber. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it doesn't ever end. <laughs> I apologize. 
After attending the University of Wisconsin, he went on to study at the University of Chicago, where he ran social circles that ultimately resulted in him becoming communist and anti-fascist. These ideologies led him to serve in the Spanish Civil War, which lasted from 1936 until 1939. Which is super weird that he was like, I'm going to go fight in another country's civil war. Does that does that not seem odd to you? <laughs> this is already what a life story. Yeah. Even already. He immigrated from Canada, went to school in the United States, and then fought in the Spanish Civil War. It's a tale as old as time. Yeah. <laughs> what a life. He could wrap it up there, and he could write so many We've books. We've all heard it. Yeah. But wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, wow. There's so, so much more. <laughs> Afterwards, he was drafted into the United States Army to fight against the Axis powers during World War II. The post-war years saw Newton studying to become a psychotherapist although he maintained a keen interest in politics and psychology. Around this time, he married Dr. Jane Pierce, a self-taught Marxist therapist whom he had met while working at William Allenson's White Institute in New York City. Co-founded in 1943 by the renowned psychiatrist Harry Stack Sullivan, the William Allenson White Institute promised to train students in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. It was widely regarded as revolutionary since its teachings steered clear of conservative mainstream ideas in favor of ones that were newer, less explored, and perceived as more radical. You know, radical, like not lobotomizing people. Right. <laughs> I was about to say radical. Pretty like, far out. <laughs> radical, like riding a skateboard while uh, doing you know. a dunk. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool, mom. All the other kids are doing it. <laughs> Psychology is cool, mom. <laughs> Shortly after Harry Stack Sullivan's death in January 1949, Newton and Pierce left the William Allenson White Institute to start their own. They called it the Sullivan Institute for Research in Psychoanalysis. Just quite a mouthful. (laughs) But you can see they named it after the man they admired, the man who just passed away. So they did did learn a lot from him, but clearly not enough. (laughs) Yeah, they might have missed a couple chapters. Yeah, they skipped a few classes, you know. (laughs) Newton and Pierce envisioned their institute to provide students with an unadulterated version of its namesake's teachings. But it didn't take long for this to be distorted and ruined, thanks in part to the couple's political ideologies. Kind of like how the idea of this podcast started off with great intentions, but my fascist ideologies have ruined it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, whatever our political ideologies are, have also contributed to the decline of this episode. You guys you guys just believe in uh, alien pyramids, right? Yes, that's right. That's Absolutely. true. <laughs> Very we, true. Love, we love to see extraterrestrials arranging themselves in the shape of a pyramid and cheering for the home team. In the shape of Orion's belt. Yeah. That is... <laughs> So, the Sullivan Institute opened its doors in 1957, attracting many artists and intellectuals, all of whom were taught that mental illnesses and social anxiety were caused by the traditional nuclear family unit, which consisted of parents and their children. Because of this, they were prohibited from engaging in exclusive committed relationships, with Newton and Pierce encouraging everyone to have regular sex with each other. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just have... Have sex with whoever you want. All right, winning me over with this philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm through the door, am I nut? (laughs) I have a pamphlet in hand. My hat is turned backwards. I'm ready to listen. I got my skateboard in the other hand. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Let's get radical. (laughs) Members of the Sullivan Institute were forced to cut ties with their biological family members. Oh, boy. Although they were allowed to contact them whenever they needed financial assistance. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Josh, Which, is this the first major red flag? You've covered a lot of different cults. I mean, is that like the first one you're like, okay, <laughs> no longer allowed to contact family? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty progressive in the fact that they're like, well, if you need money, you can contact them. But uh, uh, yeah, d- definitely a red flag. But if you really think about it, isn't this just really the college university experience, you know? <laughs> have sex with everyone you meet and ignore your mom's text until you need money (laughs) yeah definitely that was totally my college experience 100 percent. yeah yeah definitely when i was in college i was having sex a a lot (laughs) yeah with humans and i got invited to a lot of parties so definitely not you know definitely more than i can count on like one or two hands okay (laughs) so (laughs) you you don't know the parties they were at different schools i I got (laughs) 
Yeah, we were pretty close to another college. I went to a lot of parties at the other college. <laughs> the more radical colleges. Yeah, you wouldn't, you didn't know you weren't there. <laughs> weren't you that guy who was always crying in the mashed potatoes no. at the lunch, in the lunchroom? No, no, no. <laughs> I was eating them and sobbing. <laughs> it was unrelated they were, reasons. They were dry. I was trying to moisten them up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were made from potato flakes. <laughs> As extreme as these teachings were, they attracted many of the decade's most well-known figures, such as the writer Richard Price and singer Judy Collins. Even the famous American painter Jackson Pollock was said to be a believer, as his therapist was Ralph Klein, one of the group's leaders. Wow. Uh, Fun fact, Jackson Pollock loved sex and not talking to his parents. (laughs) (laughs) Explains those paintings. Yeah. (laughs) I guess at least the, uh, the Institute had some good artwork on the walls then. Well... Good is subjective. Uh, a relative term. <laughs> yeah. But don't worry, I'm an art connoisseur, so. Wow, Josh, oh, okay. more of a Italian futurist or maybe a uh, postmodern uh, impressionist. I don't know. Not, not, <laughs> not very much into the abstract work of Jackson Pollock. No, no, I prefer straight lines and I know what I'm looking at. <laughs> oh. All right. Okay. I, I can understand that. <laughs> Besides its slew of influential members, the Sullivan Institute was also regarded as appealing due to the strategies that it used to recruit people. In particular, devotees would pitch it as an organization that aimed to expand the revolutionary promise of the 1960s by promoting a form of psychotherapy that incorporated radical politics and sexual liberation. So there's that radical again. Yeah. God, this place is so friggin' cool. So sick. They would also enthusiastically talk about their fellow members, whom they would claim were mostly well-educated secular leftists and Jewish. Unlike other cults, the recruitment strategies used by the Sullivan Institute were neither aggressive nor manipulative. Hmm. Rather, relied on word of mouth, with members singing praises that appealed to those who came from broken homes and difficult situations. Big red flag. Yeah, that's that's definitely a big red flag, (laughs) preying on people who uh, don't have a better situation. Yeah, not great. But, I mean, to be fair, the people in it were like, yeah, you can have sex with whoever you want. It's it's awesome. It's a good elevator pitch. It's a good elevator pitch. It's yeah, one it's of those ways. Take. It's a good way to prey on people without it seeming like you're preying on them that much. Because you're like. Exactly. Ah, yeah. We're like, we're, we're pro, like, equality, communism, free love, sex all the time. Come and join. And uh, we don't talk to our parents. Yeah. (laughs) For instance, a Unitarian minister named Paul Stretcher, who had been a member for nearly a decade, remembered that, quote, I found this group and it it just so happened that all of them were in Sullivan therapy. It was this incredibly neat experience for a newcomer in New York City. Suddenly I had a social life. There were women who wanted to date me. We spent summers in a manga set. It was very loose in those days. Just people hanging out in apartments, end quote. Seems like a very chill dude. Yeah. (laughs) I guess he was a real newcomer in New York City. Uh, You would get along with John for my other podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He too enjoys terrible puns. (laughs) He's going to love that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Another former member, Dr. Michael Bray, joined the Sullivan Institute in 1972 after finding out about it from one of his classmates in Fordham University's clinical psychology program. In the span of two years, he divorced his wife, cut off contact with his parents, moved into an apartment unit that the group owned, where he would stay until 1985, almost 13 years. Wow. Wow. That's a lot of change in two years. Yeah. Yeah, that is a midlife crisis if I've ever heard one. Yeah, for sure. The only thing he needed to do was buy a bitchin' Camaro. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And get a sick tattoo. (laughs) There's better things to do than join a cult, you know? <laughs> there are there are better ways to carry out your midlife crisis than join a cult. That is correct. You're saying I yeah. don't need to join a cult? <laughs> Josh, are you for real right now? <laughs> don't need to, but you should join this one. <laughs> ah, okay. Uh, Just, you got to at least do one for the experience. Yeah, you can, you can talk to your dad in my cult, not your mom. <laughs> that's the line I draw. Okay, that's fair. One parent is good enough. <laughs> you only need one. Yeah. Uh, The Sullivan Institute was scattered among three different buildings in the Upper West Side of New York City. Although members mainly lived in the seventh-story co-op on 2643 Broadway, 
There, they established a tight-knit community for themselves, with Sprecher later recalling that, quote, We created a living context, like a tiny village, that was mostly cut off from the world. The, the bizarre thing, of course, was that you're in the middle of New York City, but the dynamics of control and so on are like a village, end quote. Hmm. So that's kind of... It's actually they, pretty they interesting. created such a tight-knit yeah, community that it just felt like a small village in the middle of the busiest city in, in America. Yeah, that's really uh that's really kind of an interesting perspective on it. Yeah. I mean, you think about like um the People's Temple or Waco or like some other uh most most cults are they they want to like, you know, bring you out to the middle of nowhere where you just really truly are totally dependent on them, but they're like, "No, nah, you're in here in the city." That's yeah. almost like uh like a a cult flex. Yeah, it, that's but, like an impressive feat. Yeah, in a disturbing way. <laughs> they have so much control over you. They don't need to take you in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of it's kind of crazy that you could like, because you know you expect with all these people around. Yeah, that's people are going to put you in check. At the same time, mm-hmm. like you know, you've got like that phenomenon. I think it's the like the kit. Is it the Kitty Genovese story or something? It's something like that. It's that story of where like somebody was being murdered in a courtyard in the apartment, and like. Oh yeah. Everyone else, people just watched it happen, but they just assume everyone else is going to do something about it. It's called bystander bystander syndrome, syndrome or yeah. effect, yeah. Right. It's where people people don't know what to do exactly. Right. And so they don't do anything in the hopes that somebody else will know what to do and will do that. <laughs> and then so just things end up happening and even though people know it's going on, they don't do anything. Yeah. That is true. I think I've heard about that one. I'm not sure. I don't want to poke holes in because that was a great argument. I think it was disproven, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, okay. um, you guys should do an episode on that. That'd be good. Whether bystander effect is a conspiracy or real. Wow. Oh, there you go. There we go. A little psychology oh, action little in there. Perfect for art. Yeah. Our resident armchair psychologist. That's true. <laughs> Josh, I am the resident armchair psychologist because I got a Ooh. degree in psychology. Oh, well, you're perfect for this episode, though. That's right. <laughs> oh, he's, he's, he's salivating over here. <laughs> he's taking notes. Yeah. Oh, so that's oh, how you do it. Out. <laughs> that's how you put this degree to work. <laughs> so, yeah, so they're, they're in like a community within New York City, which is really cool. And Newton ran a tight ship, imposing strict rules on his devotees, or the Sullivans, as they began referring to themselves as. Huh. Second red flag. Yeah. Um, well, really, really missed the opportunity to call them Fig Newtons. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Damn it. Some of them are still alive. We can talk to them. We can convince them. <laughs> Is there a chance to, to change write their this story? Wrong? Wow. <laughs> to think that that cookie has such a disgusting past. <laughs> that cookie is basically made through sex. <laughs> oh, God. Jesus. <laughs> now I'm going to think of nothing when I nothing but that when I eat them. <laughs> Josh, when's the last time you hit a Fig Newton? Is that a cookie oh. you like? I I definitely had them this year, but wow, it's, it's not often. I'll give you yeah. that. I love a Fig Newton. I think it's a good cookie. It's a great yeah. cookie. It is. And you feel healthy because you're like, oh, there's no chocolate in it, so it's fine. It's there figs. You go. It's good. It's got vitamin C or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> These Fig Newtons uh, had vitamin D. <laughs> we're 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 gonna we're gonna move on. <laughs> Boy, I hear that a lot. <laughs> Besides prohibiting them from engaging in exclusive relationships with each other, he also forced parents to give up their children, shipping them off to either boarding school or to caretakers. Members were required to attend weekly therapy sessions as well, where they underwent further indoctrination. I think you can call that red flag three and four. Uh, <laughs> oh, big time. Yeah, this is yeah. like this is like semaphore at this point. There's so many red flags. I mean, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's like, like Twitter right now. <laughs> I mean, not, not like using therapy as a, yeah, like it's very, uh, what dare I say it? Scientology-esque. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, if I want to open that true. can right now, but that's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> They're going to be after you guys. <laughs> I know. I would just, ru- I just ruined both of our podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. They've been mentioned many times in not great faith on this podcast. Oh, so good. Okay. Come, a- come after me. I'm in Canada. They can't find me. <laughs> I doubt Tom Cruise could point to it on a map. So. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. Shots fired. That's fine. He'll never hear this. <laughs> Please welcome Tom Cruise. We have him here. <laughs> Surprise. I would both love and fear that, but uh, yeah. <laughs> God, my numbers would pop off. <laughs> yeah. 
To add to that, Newton instructed the Sullivans as to which jobs they were allowed to take. They were unable to enjoy the money that they earned, though, as this not only went to the institution, but was used to pay for their children's babysitters and boarding schools, too. I'm sure these children grew up to be completely normal people. Oh, I'm sure they were very well-adjusted. They'd probably be, you know, 30s, 40s now, maybe? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess at least in one sense, they provided for the kids in a way. It's true. You know, by, through you know, financially allowing them to stay someplace without their parents for their entire childhood. It's not exactly, I wouldn't, I don't know that it's necessarily healthy, but, you know, they could have just said ship them off and then let them become wards of the state or something. Or, or abuse them as many cults do. Yeah, that's true. true. You're right. It is the lesser of many evils, but it is still probably on that scale of not great for their psyche being away from their parents. Although I guess there's a good question. What's worse? having them stay with the cult and get indoctrinated or shipping them off and they just don't have any relationship with their parents. True. Ignorance is bliss. You know what? You might be right in some cases. Yeah, this is, uh, that's very true. Yeah, definitely. There's a few other cults that it would have benefited the kids to not be there. Yeah. So Jonestown cough, Jonestown. Oh, I should have coughed around Jonestown instead of using Jonestown like a cough. <laughs> However, these salaries weren't the Sullivan Institute's only source of revenue. For one thing, hefty fines were levied against members whenever they violated one of the Newton's many law, many rules. Uh, Newton's laws? Newton's laws. I said Newton's <laughs> oh, laws. It what? doesn't say that. Oh, they were violating <laughs> Newton's laws? All right, Bill. You know what you did. You were, you were floating up, not being tethered to the gravitational pull of the earth. Look. Get look, off the ceiling. God damn it. <laughs> Charlene, I saw you make a perpetual motion machine. God damn it. <laughs> Go to you your need room. Some therapy. That'll be $10,000. <laughs> God, that's funny. That was a that was a Freudian slip if I ever seen it. It says rules here and I did say laws. <laughs> right. Glad you did. Noon's laws. That'll be the funniest thing I come up with on this podcast and I've written out many jokes for this episode. <laughs> uh, I love that I love that Bill Maher segment though. Newton rule. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a stretch. <laughs> Oh, boy. We'll blaze past that one, too. (laughs) So if a member violated one of the many rules, the parents were required to pay $10,000 if they were perceived as showing too much interest in their biological children. Taking it one step further, they weren't even allowed to even express interest in their children, which that's That's probably cold-blooded. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where it takes it to another level, I think. Yeah, we're past the red flag part on that one. Oh, yeah. This is a real intense shift from, like, free love, living out the <laughs> 60s dream to, like, you know, like... Wonder how our son's doing $10,000 right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a big leap. Oh, what was his name? Brandon? That's $10,000. <laughs> oh, my God. You. What are you talking about? <laughs> Give me $10,000. <laughs> yeah, what did they think was going to happen with all this free love? Like, there had to be children coming out. <laughs> did they not expect that? It's well, true. I don't know. You know? 70s and 80s, they definitely weren't using condoms. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as free love. That's very true. There's always a price to be Worth paid. $10,000 each time. <laughs> That's the price. <laughs> the Sullivans often received requests to provide the Institute with hundreds of thousands of dollars. When asked what this money would be used for, Newton assured them that it would assist their personal growth, which is very vague. and It's kind of a good line, though. Yeah, Just ask good... people for money. Well, what are you going to do with it? It's for your personal growth. Don't you want to grow as a person? Like, Give me $100. So. It'll help you grow as a person. <laughs> Despite these strict and rather unfair rules, the Sullivan Institute became increasingly popular throughout the years. By the 1970s, its ranks had swelled to several hundred, most of whom lived in the compounds scattered across the Upper West Side. During this time, though, it became more and more authoritarian in its nature, which was attributed to the arrival of Newton's second wife, Joanne Harvey, a soap opera actor who aspired to be a stage director. One of the ventures that Harvey introduced was a politically progressive theater collectively known as The Fourth Wall, which she merged with the Sullivan Institute therapy groups. In 1978, the newly combined group signed a lease to rent a facility called the Truck and Warehouse Theater, which was located in New York City's East Village. Unfortunately, this venture wasn't without its fair share of violence. When... When the collective who had been renting the truck and warehouse theater before them refused to evacuate the premises, they were forced out by hundreds of Sullivans who destroyed their set and took over the space. This oh got so God. out of hand that the police were eventually called, leading them to making three arrests. 
Jeez. Uh, I'm imagining, uh, you know, lots of snap, a, snap like, fighting. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a real Upper West Side story. Yeah. This is, this is exactly what it's based on. Ah, that, <laughs> that was a good, was a good pun, huh? That was a good one. They are. Got that was one. good. I like, I that, like that. This aggression was encouraged by both Newton and Harvey. According to the... F- <laughs> yeah, they were like, this is great. Keep going, guys. Yeah, get um, that collect theater collective. Get oh, that's <laughs> there's nothing dorkier than theater nerds arguing over theater spaces. <laughs> yeah, am I right? we're gonna break their stage. <laughs> we can do improv better than you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, you sound like us. <laughs> According to the Sullivan Paul Sprecher, quote, all the members were invited to come down and occupy the theater. The cops came in in the middle of the night and we had barricaded the doors. It was very exciting. Saul wanted to teach people how to stand up to the cops. He liked that kind of confrontation. End quote. Which, I mean, fuck cops, I guess. You know what I mean? Like, But this is an extreme where I think the cops might have been in the right to attack them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was like, uh, this was, would have been like 1970s New York, too. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah they were great. These were pretty wild back then. It was kind of uh, like but, the Warriors style, right? Yeah, this is probably like before there was any amount of oversight of policing. (laughs) Exactly. This disturbing nature of the Sullivan Institute would only escalate from there. On March 28, 1979, a reactor at a nuclear generating station in Dauphin County, Pennsylvania, partially melted, resulting in a radiation leak that many feared would affect the local population. The Three Mile Island accident, as it was referred to afterwards, is now known as the most significant nuclear power plant accident in American history, garnering a 5 out of 7 rating on the International Nuclear Event Scale. Pretty high. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it's at a 7. Seems like that could be at a 5 or 10, you know? Yeah. This was was a good nuclear event, but not a perfect one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It didn't kill enough people. Um, (laughs) 5 out of 7. Try try harder next time. Tough judges. I love that there's like a Rotten Tomatoes style yeah. uh, service for <laughs> nuclear disasters. Five out of seven from critics, but it's a seven out of seven as far as the audience is concerned. What would they call it? Radiated tomatoes? Yeah, oh, maybe. Yeah, that's there we go. That's what it is. Besides causing widespread panic about the potential negative effects of nuclear power, the Three Mile Island accident also drove the Sullivans to relocate to Orlando, Florida, in a bid to avoid escape the imminent destruction of New York City. When this failed to happen, they returned to the Upper West Side, where those who had declined to make the move were ostracized by Newton and the rest of the Institute's appointed leaders. Wow. That's pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah. It causes like a divide between the, the haves and the have-nots. It's like, we've huh. been to Florida. We know what true freedom is. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you haven't lived until you've been to Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... Uh, it's like COVID when all the New Yorkers moved to Florida when, <laughs> to get free. No mask mandates. No more mandates. Yeah. Much the same. It all, it's all exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Even at the time, Florida didn't mandate anything. That's why the Sullivans loved it. Yeah. They were like, a cult? Welcome in. He'll fit right in with the other ones. <laughs> yeah. We've got plenty of cults. we got a spot on the bayou for you. <laughs> Have some oranges. <laughs> the Three Mile Island accident proved to be a turning point for the Sullivan Institute. It changed the the dynamics among members, with Newton behaving more and more erratically as the months passed. For instance, he believed that the CIA CIA was interfering with Joanne Harvey's work, and so he had a room built with steel-plated walls so that she could edit her films in peace. Well, I never never considered that. That's actually a pretty good idea. You guys should think about that, you know? Yeah, if if our creative pursuits don't do well, just blame it on the government interfering with them. <laughs> that the output wasn't what we intended. <laughs> I, think, I think with your line of work, they might already be watching you. Guys. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Dude, that might, might be well received. <laughs> They're most of your listeners, actually, the CIA. <laughs> hey, Hi, we'll, FBI! We'll take it, whatever it takes. <laughs> yeah, please subscribe and... <laughs> yeah. So he also began seeing enemies everywhere, which led him to intimidate and abuse his followers in a misguided attempt to protect himself. And this is the classic cult leader trope. They all go down Mm -hmm. this where they think everyone's after them and out to get them. Psychology guy, why would that be? (laughs) I don't know. Probably like a little bit of narcissism. they, They definitely think that like, you know, they're like paranoid and anxious about anybody doing anything that isn't them. Maybe in control of it. It's probably a control thing too, right? Like, you know. 
you spend so much time telling other people that you yeah. know what's best that eventually you start to believe it. Right. And then that's when you, true. you know, but you're, you're still aware enough to understand that not everybody thinks that you do know best. And so I think that's very undercutting to a person with the, the ego that it takes to be a, a cult leader. Right. Wow. Yeah. hundred percent. You guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, are you, We're professional are you, idiots, Josh. <laughs> you guys charging me for the hours? <laughs> no, this is on the house. Wow, perfect. First one's free. Is how it is. We do it for our own narcissism, just to hear you say you guys are good. <laughs> but you're not with the CIA, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Later, Amy Siskind, who had been a member of the Sullivan Institute for more than two decades, recalled that, quote, Newton had this idea on how to deal with people who were against you. And his idea was basically intimidation and violence. There were many incidents throughout the history of the group of intimidation, end quote. So wow. I love this. He's like, I got this, I got hold this on. great new idea. <laughs> Joanne, I got this great idea. The what if I intimidate <laughs> and abuse people? She's like, that's an original one. <laughs> I've never Nobody's heard of Nobody's ever before. seen that before. <laughs> and as I don't think another person's ever tried to intimidate or abuse the people around them to get them to do what they want. <laughs> anyway, I fought Hitler tw 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I learned yeah. it. I, I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. He also encouraged this behavior among the Sullivans, too which resulted in the Institute's therapist using fear tactics to manipulate their patients in order to get them to act as they wished. According to Tess Cahoe of Penn State University, quote, they desired to control who had kids and how many and who with. One account of when a member tried to leave, two Sullivans tracked the man down to a subway and dangled him over the tracks, threatening him Jeez. to kill him if he left the movement. One of those men was Newton's son, end quote. Wait a minute. So Saul Newton's kids got to hang around? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The rules don't apply to Newton. Okay? Right, right. Yeah. So, like, okay. He makes the it's rules. It's not just wives. He gets to have a whole family. He gets to have multiple families. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's Classic. why Isaac Newton also didn't abide by his own laws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I guess if his son's doing this, I guess you could say the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Oh, no. Jeez. <laughs> I'll give you that one. All right, we'll start running a counter on puns in this episode. Yeah. There we go. If you hit five, you're allowed back. <laughs> whoa, 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 baby. No problem. To add to that, Newton also acquired a fleet of school buses and motorcycles, claiming that it was necessary in case of an emergency. Former Sullivan Dr. Michael Bray was put in charge of this, and he later recalled that, quote, We'd a very planned out escape route that involved walking to George Washington Bridge. In terms of the leadership's children, it meant putting them in backpacks and then riding them out in, in off-road motorcycles, which we had about six of, end quote. By the time the Sullivan Institute had managed to amass approximately $12 million in property assets, apart from the several apartment buildings in the Upper West Side, they also owned a resort in the Catskills and a house in Vermont. All of these were funded by members who had been voluntarily giving up the majority of their salaries for the purpose betterment of the group. Oh my wow. God. Yeah. And uh, Andy, Art, do you know who will also demand that you give them their money? Uh, uh, is it the mafia? You? The mafia? Well, both, both are probably true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did it. <laughs> but we win. Right. <laughs> I, I specifically meant the products and services that support this show. Oh. So, yeah. Now, <laughs> usually they will give you something for the money, but I cannot personally guarantee that so uh in, enjoy these ads <laughs> we will despite the wealth power and influence that the group's leadership wielded the sullivan institute began to deteriorate during the late 1980s thanks in part to custody suits filed by the former members dr michael bray and paul sprecher both of whom left the group in 1988 and you might remember them. I had quoted them a few times. They came out very publicly against this group. Bray and Sprecher demanded custody of their children from their biological mothers, who had remained with the Sullivan Institute. This brought to light the group's violent tendencies and sketchy dynamics, including their child-rearing practices, 
which the public regarded as controversial and disturbing. Okay. Thank Fair God. assessment. Great. Good assessment to yep. the public. Great job. How public? You got it right. <laughs> Finally, you guys did something correct. <laughs> We've been waiting for you to do it right public, and you finally got one. Yeah. They heard, they heard about this in the newspapers, and they're like, I don't like that. I don't like <laughs> nope. That, I don't care for that. <laughs> well, Bray and Sprecher were successful in exposing the Sullivan Institute. They never managed to obtain the justice that they desperately sought. On December 21st, 1991, 85-year-old Saul Newton passed away at the Methodist Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, after battling Alzheimer's disease and septemia, his death combined with the negative publicity and the controversial lawsuits marked the end of the Sullivan Institute, which had already been on a downward spiral. With that, members fled the crumbling group in droves, forced to the reintegrate back into family units that they had abandoned long ago. Yeah, it's awkward. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah I'm that's... getting secondhand cringe here. <laughs> <laughs> that's the weird cousin that went off. Uh, and oh, uh, God. I'm back. <laughs> hey. hey. Hey, Uncle Mario. How you doing? <laughs> I'm back. Oh, they definitely had New York accents. You're right. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> I'm the guy from Long Island. Oh. Yo, I'm your biological father. I disowned you since you're born in school. <laughs> oh. Oh. Come give your pops a hug. <laughs> I don't have any money. I gave all my salary to the Sullivans. Oh. <laughs> anyway, can I crash on your couch? Oh, <laughs> that's bad. Uh, yeah, so it was definitely probably not a good time. Not a good time. <laughs> Sadly, not everyone was lucky enough to escape unscathed. For instance, Helen Fogarty, one of Newton's ex-wives, had her license to practice psychology revoked by the state of New York in 1997. Why? Oh, come yeah. on, New York. What a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> let her do her thing. <laughs> and to be fair, they did let her practice for six years afterwards. That's <laughs> true. And then they were like, well, you know, <laughs> oh, maybe we should look into this, you know. <laughs> they did um, a very thorough investigation and then yeah. found out she might not be fully qualified to hold a license. <laughs> but yeah, she had a few things definitely wrong with her. So we found a couple of inconsistencies in your past. <laughs> Just want to clear those up with you real quick. Just a couple small um, things. Please check the boxes that, that are accurate. Were you <laughs> grossly negligent with your practice? <laughs> um, you checked the box for yes and circled it a bunch. <laughs> then wrote a big arrow with the words yes pointing to it. <laughs> and then something about you need money here. Uh, <laughs> this is not a bank. <laughs> so she was made to go through a hearing where a panel consisting of members of the Board of Psychology found her guilty of, quote, practicing the profession fraudulently with gross negligence, with gross incompetence, with negligence on more than one occasion, and with incompetence on more than one occasion. Wow. <laughs> Boy, this sounds like my last job review. <laughs> my ex-wife. Her review your of ex you? <laughs> so, sounds like your ex-wife, Helen Fogarty. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. After she divorced Saul Newton. I was married to Helen Bogarty for Saul a little Newton while. Died. <laughs> You're like, but only until 2006 after. That's true. Nine when years. you revoked I, her license to marriage. <laughs> yeah, I revoked it. You're grossly negligent. <laughs> to, to support the verdict, the panel cited several incidents, including one in which Fogarty coerced her live-in babysitter, who was also her patient, to having mm -hmm. sex with Newton, who was pushing 70 at the time. Ugh. While the babysitter ultimately agreed to do so, she later filed a complaint with the state claiming that she only complied with the requests because she feared losing her job and the therapy sessions that she had been receiving. So that's... I'm not sure she should have been so upset about, you know, losing the therapy sessions, but <laughs> True. I could see why you would, you know, need the income still. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if someone's offering you free therapy, you don't, you should question that at least at the minimum. You should be like, yeah, uh, very true. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Still pretty unsavory situation. Yeah, definitely not great. I feel I do feel bad for this person. And while Fogarty admitted that she had been wrong in having her patient work for as her live-in babysitter, she denied okay. allegations of sexual coercion. Mm. In a later interview with the Journal News, she she was cited as saying, "Quote: The babysitter made this all up. That I told her to have sex with my husband. Do I dispute it? I totally dispute it. That's unthinkable. I was a therapist. She worked for me. That was the whole issue." She was babysitting one of my kids and asked if she could be in therapy with me. 
end quote. Probably not going to take her word for it, if I'm being <laughs> brutally honest, but yeah. that, was her, that was her take on the situation, so. Yeah, I don't know that Helen's earned the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> no, since she's grossly incompetent on more than one right. occasion. That's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. A documented history of gross incompetence. <laughs> it's written on a permanent record. <laughs> in conclusion, the Sullivan Institute may have ended in 1991. However, former members remain unwilling to go public about their time in it. While many have horror stories, others only have positive memories. For instance, Eric Grunin, who spent more than a decade in the group, continues to defend it, even going so far as to criticize those who refer to it as a cult. He is also, which is something someone in a cult would say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very uh, cult-like behavior. Yeah, there. yeah. You're from Eric. fitting that niche, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. He has also made harsh comments about former members who spoke out against Newton, claiming in an interview with Gothamist that Dr. Bray, uh, Michael Bray had gone over to the dark side. Well, Bray and Paul Spretcher are content on leaving the Institute firmly in the past, former members like Grunin are hopeful that something similar to Sullivan Institute would be established again. According to him, the group's value and doctrine are exactly what people need nowadays. And wow. that is Saul Newton and the Sullivan Institute. Wow. What are your guys' uh, thoughts on it? I mean, really, this, the, the Sullivan Institute, it, it has like all of these classic cult elements. I mean, it's how there's Saul Newton. He becomes like a, a Jim Jones type of character. They give all their money to the, the group. It's very like people's temple ish <laughs> heaven's gate esque. Yep. Yeah. They, they kind of take a, uh, kind of a higher moral stance of like, well, you know, we believe in like free love and like we're mm -hmm. giving therapy and all this stuff. And it's, it's almost we like live a, in a commune and it's, it's almost like a, a merging of, of the people's temple and Scientology. A little bit. Oh, yeah. 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 You're right. And you know what? They were so close to being like decent people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's like teetering I, on the edge. I'm where... certain that the therapy probably felt, I mean, obviously I don't know hundred percent of their therapy sessions or their practices, but like, like that's how you bring people in. Right. It's like you give them, you give these, these people who have, you know, no, no connection and no outlet. You give them an outlet. You give them an ear to listen to. Yeah. And that feels pretty good to get that stuff off your chest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know? for sure. But then all of a sudden, it's like the, it just starts snowballing and all of a sudden you're disowning your son. And what's well, kind of like they poison the well? Cause it's like, oh yeah, come tell me all your problems. And then it's like, yeah. oh, also I'm a sympathetic ear, you know, right. you can tell me anything, but then I'm going to feed like propaganda into right. your other ear right? to fill up the stuff you just got rid of. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's like a Netflix subscription. They give you that, that free month <laughs> and then you're, you're hooked for life. Is Netflix a cult? <laughs> oh, God. I might have to do an episode on that. There you go. There you go. Amazon, great idea. Amazon Netflix definitely is. <laughs> Amazon for sure, yeah. There's no questions. I mean, episode over, it is. Yeah, you guys can come on for that one. We can talk smack about Jeff Bezos and probably get on his hit list somewhere. <laughs> We've made enough Bezos jokes on our show. We're probably already on his hit list. Also, we are on the list to go to space, so. Oh, yeah. nice. But we're not on the list to come back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my biggest worry about William Shatner going up. As oh. Bezos is going to leave him up there. Oh, incredible. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is amazing. Yeah, he, he was uh, very, oh, I mean, wow. he was awestruck. How, he couldn't stop saying, oh, wow. How much LSD do you think he took? <laughs> before he went up uh, yeah i was like really thinking when i watched that video i'm like i think he might be lightheaded like he seems everyone else is like this is crazy yeah. like and everyone, just everyone else is experiencing themselves and he's just like looking out the window wow he's having a breakdown <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> which i don't get because he's been up there many times I, i've seen yeah seen I mean, a video of it <laughs> it's true in that documentary that he's he was in that yeah. famous one, Star Trek. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> captain. He was a captain. He had his own ship. God That's damn it. That's true. I saw him save the whales. <laughs> well, guys, before we finish up today, it is time for Cult Critique. 
this is yeah so uh which actually we should we should call it uh what'd you call it radioactive tomato we should call that that today (laughs) (laughs) that's right so this is the part of the episode where my guests and i talk about the cult we just covered and give it a rating out of five stars today we're going to do it at a seven great on how well it did as a cult there's Hmm. no hard and fast rules about how we do the ratings you could give it a one star and say it was great or you could give it a five star and say it was great up to you so Andy, why don't you start? What would you rate the Sullivan Institute out of seven stars? Oh, boy. You know, honestly, I think that I think that I will give the Sullivan Institute, I'm going to say five out of seven stars as a cult. Okay. Um, and Josh, here's the reason for, for that, that rating. I think in terms of a cult, it, it, it draws a lot of the classic cult tropes. There are a lot of cult classic elements. For sure. To uh, the Sullivan Institute. It had a fun, it's got a fun twist in the, the way that it starts, you know, free love and therapy and low pressure indoctrination methods, I guess. So it's kind of, it's kind of unique in that. I'll also give it credit for a little bit of staying power yeah. as far as cults go. I mean, you know, when you think about it, most cults have a very, a pretty short lifespan because yeah. things like get out of control. So a couple of decades is a pretty long life for a cult, I think. Very long. I'd say the only one beating it is the uh, Scientology. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't think that's probably a record that'll never be broken. Yeah. Um, But I, I, you know, so I got to give it a decent score. It's probably not the greatest cult uh, that ever lived, but I think it's a pretty good cult uh, as far as cults go. Not flashy, but reliable, you would say. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is the, uh, this is the Ford focus of cults. <laughs> that is a great comparison. All right. And uh, Andy, w- what, uh, what's your rating out of Well, uh, you want me to go again? Oh, uh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I had Andy uh, written second. I don't know why I said your name first, but uh, mm, go ahead. Wow. Sorry about that. No, I know you couldn't wait to hear from me, Josh, and that's okay. Well, that's all right. Cause actually Andy stole the words right out of my mouth. Oh, oh. Uh, I, I give do. it back. I Andy. Was, Um, Andy, give me those words back. No, I, I too, I think, yeah, I think a five is a really is, yeah, the score I would also bestow the, uh, this cult. And I think for very similar reasons, I think, you know, if it like, let's say, you know, we've covered Heaven's Gate, we've covered uh, Jim Jones. Like, I feel like those are like, those are sevens in my book. Oh, it's like, you can say those to any person and they probably have, they probably know what you're talking about. Yeah. They have the name recognition. Sullivan. People are going to know what that is. Probably not. So I think you got to dock a point for that. And then, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the things that you said, Andy, I think were uh, 100%. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Well, the, those these are great reviews. I think I'm also going to give it five out of seven. Um, oh, my wow. God. A perfect five out of seven. For that. all of the same, same things you guys said, but also because that was the same uh, rating they gave the n- nuclear power plant destroying so i think that's funny <laughs> yeah i was i was really tempted to give it a 5.7 stars out of seven but... uh, i like that <laughs> well thank you guys for joining me if you guys don't mind please tell my audience where they can where they can find mr bunker's conspiracy podcast and uh, tell them a little bit about it you can find all of our links at mr bunker's conspiracy we have new episodes every Wednesday. There's, you know, we're on Instagram at Mr. Bunker Pod and Twitter at Mr. Bunker Pod. Andy, how would you describe, uh, I guess our show is, you know, it's a little, it's, it's, it's in a similar vein to, to maybe some other guests you've had, but Andy and I were two comedian skeptics, two, two friends, and we've, we get kidnapped every week by the titular Mr. Bunker, who's a conspiracy, <laughs> just nut. He's a, He's an illusionary mastermind, and he forces us to podcast about these topics mm-hmm. in the hopes that he can convince us or our, our listeners, the Bunk Funkers. And uh, very similar to you, we always rate the topics at the end of the episode on a scale of how plausible we think they are. Right. Oh, we have our, our patented bunker scale of plausibility. That's right. And and Josh, there's, I mean, for the benefit of, of all your audience, I mean, our story is very complicated with Mr. Bunker. That's true. Uh, we've been at this for a couple of years and there's quite an extensive backstory and yes. more involving our relationship with Mr. Bunker. So there's a lot to unpack <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. There's uh there's an extensive intro lore. You guys should do a whole episode breaking down the extensive lore of, of your own <laughs> podcast in the ultimate meta episode. <laughs> wow. That would be a wild ride of an episode. <laughs> 
just a recap, you know, like every every few years you just <laughs> Although I guess it does get people to go back to episode one and then listen through so that they understand it. I mean, hey, if you can stomach the sound of our voices for that long, it's <laughs> I mean it's it's a journey you can go on for sure. That's true. You are actually it's it's a really nice way to prove to yourself that you are mentally tough and you can take on almost any challenge in your life. You'd be like, I listened to the whole back catalog of Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. I can do anything. There should be some sort of award for people that have done that. At the same time, it also proves mental instability. <laughs> right. It's somehow simultaneously proving you're exceptionally stable and exceptionally unstable. Yeah. So it's a weird, it's a weird balance. You, you, yeah. Yep. Your Very paradoxical. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, definitely go check them out. It's a, it's an amazingly funny podcast. Uh, and and very informative like uh, i definitely come away from some of the episodes and i'm like wow i had no idea about that definitely go check it out uh, if you love listening about conspiracy theories and just an all-around good time finally if you want to support this show you can do so by rating reviewing and sharing the podcast on apple podchaser or good pods if you want to support the show financially you can do so at buymeacoffee.com slash let's start a cult and if you really can't get enough of my voice, you can also hear me on my other podcast, Reddit on Wiki, every Monday. But as for Let's Start a Cult, that is it for this week. Thank you, Fred, for listening. And thank you, Art and Andy, for coming on today. You guys were awesome. And uh, we will see everyone next time. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you been wanting to read more, but don't seem to have the time? Well, with Audible, you can read your books without having to find the extra time in your busy schedule. Stuck in traffic on your way home from work? Why not marathon the Harry Potter books? In the gym and want to learn about the First Lady? Well, you can listen to Becoming Michelle Obama while doing Leg Day. And if you go to audibletrial.com cultivate, you get a month free of Audible. That includes one credit that you can trade in for any audiobook of your choice access to thousands of audiobooks free to listen to with your account, and, best of all, you have access to all of your favorite podcasts in the app as well. So be sure to go to my link, audibletrial.com slash cultivate, that's C-U-L-T-I-V, the number eight, to sign up for a free month of Audible and start reading today. Thank you, Audible, for supporting the show.